of Old School Guns, the episode number 104, 104. Uh, we are the podcast that tells you exactly like it is, and uh, we are pretty unvarnished, and we tell it true and straight up. Uh, our podcast is in three parts. The first part is, you know, just general news and kind of how it relates to the Second Amendment. The second part is really some gun content. Know, kind of critiques of some of the gun content that's out there and the third is my favorite questions and answers and if you want to submit a question you can email it to me at kbmakel at aol.com kbmakel at aol.com or you can leave it on our podbean comments section podbean is kind of where we make this so um that's a good place to leave it, and I will get to it. Okay, let me go to the first thing. The first thing is, it, does anybody feel the way I do that, like, no one's in charge of our government, that we basically have, it's like a Kardashian government or something. Um, the executive branch, which, even though some people didn't like Donald Trump, he would tell you what he thought, and you knew what he was thinking, you knew what he was doing. He was kind of an action guy. He was getting things done. Biden just appears. once he's Now that he's bribed the electorate by sending them these goofy checks, um, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. He's, he's really not doing much, and I don't know that he's really in control. Who's in charge? Who's making policy? Who's actually doing things? Um, it's it's there's no transparency there it it's the super tanker that you look up on the bridge and you expect to see the captain and the navigator and a whole bunch of guys one guy behind the wheel and everything else but you look up there and you don't see anybody and that's what it feels like that there's nobody home that somehow this thing is kind of on autopilot and maybe every few hours somebody just goes up there and kind of checks in. Um, that's what it feels like, the Kardashian government. So there, there we are. They wanted change, and, and man alive, have we got it. We went from action guy to, you know, this, this, this inhabitant of an old folks' home who, who is now in charge and just can't seem to string it all together. And that has empowered something. Um, we saw it with, um, you know, jerky John McLean, um, not McLean, McCain. You know, the maverick, maverick senator, maverick John McCain. And, and basically all that is is a guy who basically says, when the Senate is like at 49 to 50 or 50-50, I'll just do whatever I want. I won't support you know what's right or anything else and so you had you had basically McCain ruin the um, Obamacare vote that would have gotten rid of that thing but essentially uh, now it's kind of working in our favor a little bit that the Maverick senators are Manchin and of all people cinema cinema who was some purple-haired kooky thing is now a voice of reason, is now a voice of moderation, which shows you how crazy far left the Democratic Party has gone. But now we have the Maverick Senators who are basically saying, I'm powerful enough to steer the country one way or another. 
I, I don't know that that's a really a great idea, no matter who's in charge and who's the maverick. Um, I, I don't think that's a great idea, but yet that's what we have. Our government is becoming increasingly dysfunctional. The House is completely dysfunctional. And unless a change, a regime change happens in 2022 and a bunch of those people get voted out, uh, the House will stay dysfunctional for as long as the Democrats are in charge. Completely dysfunctional. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of spooky. It's really kind of spooky. So that's the, that's the biggest part of the politics of today that I see. There are a lot of things going on, this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, I mean, you, you look at a, another fool, Fauci, and, you know, he's, he's like the old story of Icarus. He's, he's flown too close to the sun, and his wings have melted, and now he's about ready to take the big dive and splat somewhere. Um, you know, he, he, he basically became too enamored of his own celebrity. And one of the things he said is he, he has no common sense. Um, I mean, he has no common sense. The things he said are contradictory so that any layman who's got any kind of a educational background or something could sit there and just shoot holes in this guy. We, we thought this guy was an expert on these theoretical diseases. And it turns out he doesn't know anything. He knows less than you and I. Less. I could take a guy off the street, a working guy off the street, who would make better decisions in regards to this whole thing than Fauci did. So while he may understand some of the science because allegedly he studied it, he is just not the guy to, to be making any kind of policy or informing any kind of decision making. That's just the way that is. <clears throat> oh, now we come to my favorite, favorite thing. I don't know if you saw it, but there was an internet recruiting ad, unfortunately for the United States Army. It's this woke thing of it starts out as a cartoon and it's this little woke social justice warrior who has two mommies and she decides that and she's they don't really say BLM or anything but she's obviously out there as a BLM protester and and probably Antifa too but to take her activism and channel it to something else she joins the army and she becomes Corporal Emma with two mommies and and it turns out this I guess this is a real person because the commercial ends with it cutting to real photography and she introduces herself well that was juxtaposed on youtube with a russian army recruiting commercial of about the same length and of course the russian army commercial is basically hardcore all the things you would expect a military recruiting commercial to be to appeal to patriotic people who want to get out do something for their country fight for it if necessary all that so you know this thing is on there and um, the juxtaposition between the two really makes you doubt you know if we're a serious country anymore I, I think that we are no longer a serious country we don't understand anything anymore um, 
I mean, we don't understand inflation. It's 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 happening to us now. Um, the building materials have gone way up. Food is going up. Gasoline has gone way up. And if you need examples of these, um, you probably should look at your bank account and get plenty of them. But things are going way up out of sight. And I don't know if people get it. Um, I don't know if people get it. For two people to go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, it's 20 bucks. You know, unless you order two kids' meals or something. Um, food in the store is going up. Gasoline has gone up at least 35% since Joe Biden has taken over. You know, he's funny how that happens. You know, Democratic, and yeah, he suspended the oil leases in, in Alaska. He's done all this stuff. He's, he's crazy. The dude's crazy, and he's going to run the economy into inflation. And your paycheck will never keep up with inflation. Your paycheck will always be behind, which means you as a working person, I as a working person, anybody as a working person takes a beating, takes a serious beating. So the inflation is happening. Um, I don't know how to protect your money as well. It's going to be hard. Um, you know, I would say buy some real estate or some something tangible now while the interest rates are still low because those interest rates are going to skyrocket too. And then as a country, it's going to be welcome to 1977. There we are. But the, the stupid army commercial is emblematic of the fact that we're losing our edge. We're, we're losing it. I mean, we're more concerned about providing people with a little superhero costume and all the little superhero badges and, and tabs and things that we put on our uniform. Used to be, go back to World War II, you know, the toughest guys on the block were the paratroops. They were the tough guys. They were super tough guys. Super tough guys. You can read about them. They would do stuff like march from their camp in northern Georgia down to Atlanta, which was 130 miles away. They would do it in four or five days. That's pretty brutal. If any of you have ever been on a foot march, that is pretty brutal. And it was full equipment. Uh, they, they were tough dudes. But we've added layer upon layer. And now we have rangers and special forces and all kinds of other things. And we have all kinds of other little doodads and gigaws that, that people earn going to this school and that school. And that's fine, as long as you're producing a tough force and they kind of get their unique recognition or individuals get it as uh, individual recognition. But now, we're just giving that out and we don't really care if people actually earn it or not. Because inclusion and diversity and making sure that enough gender the people of the right gender have these things is now more important than the mission and everything else so are we a serious country anymore or have we really become just so soft and so out of touch that we just don't know what's important anymore i don't know i i really don't know i don't see this ending particularly well you know as you look at countries like russia china 
and and even troublemakers like Iran and, and even you know third-rate troublemakers like North Korea but especially you look at China they are developing more advanced weapons they are definitely building a blue water navy they are doing things that are very threatening and while we're cutting back they're increasing and that should be worrisome because there aren't enough and we won't have enough social justice warriors who you know want to combat the bad guys I mean we're watering down our force with something that is ridiculous and the one of the beauties of military service used to be nobody really cared about your background it was the job you did when you were there but now it appears that um, we are actually looking for people who have a an activist social justice warrior background and that is a very very bad thing very dangerous and it's gonna make it's gonna hurt us maybe not immediately but it certainly will down the road uh, well let's see you know establishment politics that is one of the things that's really just it's just come to the forefront that now all of these you see these politicians and they don't care about the country they just care about their political establishment um, you saw it with the Lincoln project you know Trump did everything these guys want to do he was sealing the Mexican border getting tough with China getting rid of the bad trade deals on and on and on enforcing immigration laws uh, building up the military creating peace in the Middle East he was doing all these great things but you still had this Lincoln project that was against him because he wasn't part of the establishment and the Democrats have the mirror image of that their establishment is in control of their party now unlike the Republicans the establishment is is trying to get in control but um, you know the, the Democrats don't care about the country they care about their party establishment and what's best for them and if that's an open border so be it you know they they just don't care this is going to lead to this could lead to our undoing this could lead to our undoing I mean there already is flight out of blue states into red states and it's not everybody's afraid oh these people from you know insert blue state here are gonna come over and they're gonna change the voting and and they're gonna turn it just like where they came from that is not the thing that's happening it's the blue states are getting bluer and red states are getting more red because the conservative people who are in the minority or in the or outnumbered or or however you want to phrase it they're leaving so they can live in states that have reasonable laws when those are the red states so the country is slowly it's like one of those uh, science projects you saw in high school the cell the single cell is slowly dividing in two I mean you just you see it demographically you see it ideologically you see it politically you see it it's unbelievable and as a consequence of this of both these things both the establishment caring only about its establishment and not the welfare of the country and this uh, polarization 
that's happening. Um, you look at the lawlessness you see and the the attack on the police, which is nationwide now, and the defunding of the police, which is actually happening in places. And it will happen also because of inflation. Inflation will mean that dollars are worth less, so they, do, they don't have to defund the police to defund the police. All they have to do is just let the money become more worthless and not give them enough to, to keep up with the inflation rate. So you will see that there's also a push for some national control of police forces in order to achieve equity and all the, all the rest of the talking points they have. Um, this is all very, very bad, and the people in red states are not going to stand for this. So we have a problem coming up. And whether there's a political compromise or not, I don't know. But I know if we keep on the same course, where are we going to be in two, three, five years? Um, we're going to be in real trouble. We're going to be in real, real trouble. And we're just getting ready to kill our economy because that's what all these this green nonsense is all about. It's about hampering restraining and ultimately choking our economy and you know it's like go to every large city murder rates are up robbery rates are up everything all the bad crime things are going up because the police can't or won't enforce laws so there you go that's a that's a bad situation to be in certainly not a situation we thought we would be in you know, if you if we if we could step into the wayback machine and go, I think we thought that we uh, had pretty much that we had pretty much kind of unified it to a degree and said, hey, you know, there's a lot of things here that are kind of keeping everybody together. Now we're more bitterly divided than ever. We're so bitterly divided that even things like sports, which used to be a great unifier, nobody cared. Who the, what the color of the first baseman was, or the basketball center, or the quarterback, or the wide receiver. As long as they played, your team played, and, you know, when you had winners, nobody, nobody cared. Well, even now, that's getting bitterly divided. Sports has become an extension of politics. And it is, um, it is becoming a brutal extension of politics. Same thing with the movie stars now. Look how many movie stars are just so politically left and face it every one of us has got movies where we see hey look you know here's a movie oh it's starring this jerk oh, i'm not gonna watch that it's everybody's seen that never happened decades ago it was never a problem now it's a big problem now it's a big problem all right that's the biggest thing I can talk about. Not much on the gun content uh, front. You know, it's always interesting. Uh, I like the podcasts probably better than the YouTube channels. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. Um, I just signed up for a summer shooting league. And um, last year was my first year in it. And guess what? There are fewer shooters this year than there were last year. And that was in the throes of COVID. That was in the early summer of COVID, and everybody thought everybody was going to catch it and die and everything else. Well, 
now I think it's just ammo. I mean, I don't know that people can afford, if you don't hand load, how are you going to afford to shoot 30 rounds a week for 10 weeks? How do you do that? Plus, throw in some rounds for practice. I don't know how you do that. But yet, you know, um, it's starting to choke things off. I told you our friend of the podcast had physically saw a three-gun match that had a lot lower participation. And he used to shoot in these matches, but it had a lot lower participation than he was used to. And as these, and this is as things are getting, quote, back to normal, uh, people just aren't shooting. People just are not. Um, the shooting club I go to has less people on it shooting than it did even a year ago. So that ought to tell you something. But here's a couple things we can go into. Um, I think it's a good time to jump into questions and answers. Get some practical information uh, going out here. The first is... Um, I wanted to revisit the truck gun question, you know, where did they come from and are they dead? And I think I covered that reasonably well last podcast. But I think one of the aspects that, that I'd thrown out there was, hey, you know, um, if you really want a low-cost gun, a long arm to put in your truck and kind of kind of keep there and and realizing that there's some regulatory things that you'd have to do and you'd probably want to hide it and everything. A secondhand 12 gauge is a great option. Or there are some inexpensive, I think SDS imports them. Um, I think there's some Chinese pump shotguns out there. Uh, the, I think the SDS are Turkish, but you know, you can go after something like that and those are, you know, you can find these things new at Cabela's under 250 bucks. Uh, some of these so you know that is not a bad not a bad option I would I would go with that keep slugs and keep buckshot and um, you know the good part about that is is that uh, you know anything that a truck gun depending on your situation but usually those are going to be kind of a short range affair um, yeah you know that's that's about the best thing you can do I, I certainly think it's better than a high point um, in your tackle box and I also think that, you know, it's better than a high-end gun. And you just can't find the cheap surplus anymore. It's just it's just kind of not around. So, you know, guns like the, uh, that were selling around the $200 price mark or $220 price mark, Yugoslavian M57s and 30 Takarev, and, you know, used to be able to get those and some, some um, surplus rounds. And, and, you know, there you go. That, that's low cost. That's in, that's in the ballpark. But um, all in all, I go with my kind of my earlier comments. I just think that, um, you know, you, you kind of want, if you're going to really think you're going to use it, you probably want your best gun and not your worst one. Um, so that's, that's the update on the truck gun. Um, I did do a price, some price checks, and, and there are some used guns out there that you can get. And, uh, you know, go from there. Okay, the next question. What sort of holsters do you use? And oh boy, that is a... For Western holsters, I use traditional kind of Western... Western guns, I use Western holsters. Let me phrase it correctly. Uh, I think 
what I have found with holsters in general is I prefer leather to everything else but I do have some Kydex ones for a few guns like Beretta 92 and you know a few things like that uh, but I do prefer leather I don't know why I just do uh, another thing is I find that generally the more you spend the better product you get just the way it is cheap holsters are cheap I normally have not liked any ballistic nylon holsters I, I just find them cheap they're kind of the the Uncle Mike things you know that are out there and um, unfortunately that's I have a Desert Eagle that I like to carry around occasionally and unfortunately that's kind of the only rig I have for that it's a Magnum Research I'm sure it was sourced from one of those companies and uh, while it's not bad um, you know I, I definitely would like something a little higher higher quality that uh, you know it's face it you know some sometimes it's one thing just to wander around your living room with a holster it's another thing if you're actually outdoors doing something and and that's where a real quality holster that holds the gun and gives you a measure of security is really really worth it I mean it really is so I use a whole bunch I use the as I said the traditional Western holsters for those Western style guns I don't use the Buscadero. I have a couple of them. That's another story. But um, I just like the ones that have the you know cartridge belt with the loops. And I usually like uh, double leather if I can get it. And then I I like a you know holster that that fits on it. I usually put my own uh, tie down on that holster so that the gun stays in the holster. I usually shape it to the gun so that it. Uh, um, you know holds it snugly and securely so those are what I use for that uh, everything else I just kind of is specific um, you know it's it's hard to find a good carry holster for a lot of the guns that I particularly like because I like older guns and those aren't necessarily <laughs> um, what holster makers want to make so uh, it's it can be a real challenge sometime and you know I might have to go the custom route with some of that if at some point but uh, until then, we'll we'll see what happens. But um, it is you know holsters are hot, and you just can't buy a holster in a in a store unless you have a very common model gun. You know if you have a Glock or or one of its you know kind of uh, similar products. Yeah, you can probably go into Cabela's and find a holster. But there are so many different models of Glock now that stocking stores just can't keep up with all these they that's why you have to buy you know we're being forced into you buy it all online and of course you know what that means that means that there'll be people tracking it because you know they have that evil word they use with gun people you know that well they were stockpiling you know yes everybody stockpiles everything um, I know people who stockpile sports memorabilia I know people who stock you know other stockpile other things so um but you know you're really forced online i mean you can still find things like 1911 magazines in most places you can usually find some sort of suitable optic but even the larger stores like cabela's and bass pro shops and and things like that are are um you know it's hard for them to to have a department big enough because they're going to have if they did they would have a holster that would sit on the shelf for two or three years before somebody with that model gun came there with the money wanting that holster and purchasing it so uh, more and more we're being forced out online with that so 
that's that's kind of the deal with holsters it's uh and i hate buying things like that online i like to get the feel of the quality um you know magazines hey you know i'm, I'm pretty pretty good with that you know but um when it comes to leather the leather goods and something i'm i'm going to use like that um it's really nice when you can feel the quality so that is something that uh, uh we're sadly losing okay do, 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 do. this the next question is what are under which rifle cartridges do you consider underrated and the answer to that is i am not a good expert on that because i like to shoot fundamentally military cartridges and i suppose not they're not really underrated um I would have to say the 3040 Krag is underrated. For years, it was kind of a standard 30 caliber uh, rifle round. I mean, it wasn't as powerful as the 30 out six, but for years, surplus Krags were were out there, and um, that was considered more than adequate for a lot of lot of big game, a lot of game. Um, people would even hunt bears with it. I I would be very I'd have the trepidation about hunting uh, brown bears, grizzlies, or anything with it. But, you know, it was used to do all that, and it did it. So I'd say the 30-40 Krag. But, uh, again, my area that I really like to be in is military cartridges. Um, if I had to go into civilian rounds, I would say, without question, the 35 Whalen is uh, underrated. And in fact, I know a guy who was building scout rifles for a while, and he would build them in 35 Whalen because he considered that kind of an outstanding caliber for a scout rifle to be in. Yeah, I reserve judgment. I'm not a real scout rifle fan, but um, I trust his judgment. And, and in that kind of rifle, that's that's kind of a pretty good thing. Um, you know, so 35 Whalen would be one. I'd say 270 Winchester. A lot of people have kind of kind of forgotten about it but it's a 30 out sixth 30 out six not sixth but 30 out six necked down to 270 and it, it was a it was a great cartridge i mean great cartridge in the 50s and 60s it really was very very popular i would say 243 is underrated um if it wasn't for barrel twists and and a few other things it could have been it could have been an awesome PRS cartridge. It's not because it's optimized for FUD ammo. So that's it. And, and most of these, these FUD cartridges, um, you know, are they underrated or overrated? It doesn't really matter. They don't, they get used. But I don't know that anything drops deader because it's shot with a 270 as opposed to something else. Um, so I would say that, you know, all those kind of FUD caliber cartridges from, uh, yeah, 30 caliber up to, say, 35 or 36 caliber, if you want, um, all of those are, are pretty much underrated. Nobody likes the long-range performance of those uh, because the there's a lot of bullet problems and things. And you, you get some really old ones that you just 
how do you find 30 Remington, 35 Remington, you know? And then Winchester in the 80s came out with what was a 307 Winchester, a bunch of a bunch of cartridges optimized for lever guns that they weren't really making or selling. <laughs> so so there you go. Um, that was a really wasted effort. I mean, they went and they went and put all kinds of money into trying to make these modern angle eject things. And, and the deal is nobody was really all that hot on putting a scope on a lever gun. And when it came to power, you know, it's awful hard to beat the 1886 Winchester in 4570, you know. And face it, lever guns are just not long-range guns anyway. So trying to put cartridges that are longer in there. And then you had that whole thing of pointed bullets don't do well in lever actions, which I think is mostly all FUD lore. But it was enough to, it was enough to, you know, crash that whole project. Um, so anyway, that's the, um, that's the deal there. Uh, really a, an interesting, interesting, interesting um, question. What is really underrated? And, and the answer is just the standard calibers that everybody just kind of poo-poos. Even 4570, you know, I mean, among a lot of people, it's, it's a great cartridge, but amongst a lot of the people who shoot the reproduction buffalo guns, they're like, eh, 4570, kind of everybody has one. So 30-06 is the same way now. I mean, it's so common, and it's and it's fundamentally just so excellent that um, people just like it, it became a standard, and then it kind of became old hat. Everybody had one, you know, and, and people were looking for something a little different. I personally think you can take anything in North America you want to take with a 30-06 and, and uh, be okay. And if you say, whoa, what about the most dangerous bears? I would say that, you know, you can, you can, make, a, you can make an argument that something bigger is always better. And that's not a bad argument to make. But I would also proffer that, you know, Model 1917 rifles in 30-06 are still carried by the... I always mispronounce this. It's the Cirrus Patrol. Uh, the guys from Denmark who patrol northern Greenland. What a garden spot that must be. And they go out for weeks at a time just kind of mushing their, their dog sleds or whatever it is um, up there. And they run into polar bears and they found the Model 1917 rifle and the 30-06 cartridge to be basically so good at the task of dispatching an angry polar bear that they still use them and still have them even though rifles are, are over 100 years old now that gives you something to think about gives you something to think about okay do 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 oh with the anniversary of the miami shootout what should the fbi have used afterward if 10 millimeter was a failure and 40 smith and wesson didn't seem to it lasted longer but not as much okay i think what they're asking is hey if 10 millimeter and 40 smith and wesson weren't good answers what was a good answer after the what was the best answer after the miami shootout and i would have to say um it wasn't equipment i think training and tactics um that's where i would have poured my money had i been the fbi i would have stayed with the nine millimeter I would have, might have issued more uh, rifles and then I would have developed more training 
better tactics and as I needed to if I needed equipment improvements to help facilitate and execute those better tactics then I would have added that the gun answer the gun guy answer which will make everybody scratch their head but if 40 is too much 9mm was too little um, basically they could have gone with 38 super they could have you know, they would never want to adopt a cartridge that was put out in 1929 even though the 9mm came out in 1904 but you know they, they that's conveniently forgotten uh, 38 super would have been a better um, a better compromise and a more effective it's with loaded with the same bullets it's more effective than a nine millimeter larger trajectory more energy all that good stuff and um, with a nine millimeter gun you could you could have high capacity because a lot of the early race guns were were 38 super and they had 16 or 17 rounds so you could have developed something like that if you wanted um, and the technology was known back then too because they were using it uh, you know it had displaced the 38 super displaced the 45 ACP and in, in shooting comp action shooting competitions so 38 super would have been a really good choice and it doesn't have that much more recoil than a 9 millimeter certainly less than a 10 millimeter yeah it would have been a good choice you would have had to put it in a, a large frame gun but you know so you have to do that with 10 millimeters so uh, it would have had all those drawbacks with it that we talked about last time but I would have gone training tactics if I had to switch equipment right away I would have gone to 38 super and to the people who say oh but that's a semi-rimmed uh, design and it would have been a problem you know I've never seen a 38 super have a problem because of the rim and and I've shot a 38 super so uh, quite a bit so there you go I as a matter of fact I hand load for 38 super so you know it would have been good imagine how cool now you talk about cool guns imagine a Glock a Glock 21 type gun in 38 super ooh that'd be pretty cool I'm not a real Glock fan but that would be pretty cool yeah that would be that would be slick so there you go all right Oh, there is a correction. I, I just saw it in my notes. There is a correction. Uh, when I was talking about the 44 Auto Mag, and you know the 44 Auto Mag basically had the same ballistics as the 44 Magnum, I mistakenly said it was a a um, bottleneck cartridge, and it is not. It was a straight-walled cartridge. I was thinking of the far superior um, 357 Auto Mag, which was a bottleneck cartridge. And man, that was a screamer. That would put out, I think it was a 158-grain bullet at 1,600 feet per second. And that's screaming. You know, back in those days especially, that's screaming. Um, yeah, that's very cool. The 357 Auto Mag was very cool. Um, what it reminds me of conceptually is the new 429 Desert Eagle, which is a 50 Action Express, which is neck down to 44 caliber and um yeah that that's a screamer too that'll put it out 
uh, frankly, I have no use for anything over 44 Magnum, and so you know it's 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 kind of wasted on me. But for the the people who do handgun hunt, and if metallic silhouette or or some kind of long range pistol competition ever comes back, um, you know the 357 Auto Mag would be a very very cool gun, and it would be a lot of that'd be a lot of fun to use. Um, I don't know what the recoil was like in those auto mags with that round. I imagine it was pretty stout. And, and as we talked about last time, the auto mag was not specifically really designed for recoil mitigation. It had good looks, but I don't think it, it was really, uh, it wasn't really heavy. It doesn't have the massive parts that a Desert Eagle has. So, you know, actually, a 357 auto mag Desert Eagle would be very very cool that would be very very cool i wonder if anyone has necked down a 50 a and e to 357 that'd be interesting someone has probably tried it it probably didn't work very well you could see where it'd be a bunch of problems uh, probably over capacity <laughs> probably you know a, a big problem a big problem would be it would probably drive the bullets so fast that the bullets wouldn't stay together you know um that was a problem in like the 358 Winchester, which was the 308 Winchester necked up to 35 caliber. People would shoot pistol bullets in it, but the velocity was so great that as soon as these things left the barrel, they, you know, they would shed the jacket and the core would go one way and the jacket would go another. Um, so you can destroy a bullet that is not designed for that kind of velocity. And I think most 357 bullets are designed for a much more modest velocity so the additional four or five hundred feet per second might do very bad things to those so uh, but with a proper bullet with a proper bullet that would be a screaming cartridge I mean out of a handgun that would be very flat trajectory high velocity and if you had a requirement for those, that would be a cool way to go. See if they do it. I don't think they. I don't think they do enough Desert Eagles to really justify that. They've already got them in 357, 44, 50 A and E. Now 429. They might add one more, but I, I tend to doubt it. I just don't know that they sell that many of them. Okay, I want to be as self-sufficient as possible when it comes to shooting oh <laughs> good luck what are some recommendations okay my first recommendation is um, stockpiling <laughs> that's the only thing I can say is um, I can make my own percussion caps now if I really wanted to I could make my own powder there there is a risk to that and there are videos on YouTube that will show you how to do that. I, I personally don't know that it's a very good thing to do, but you could make your own black powder. So if you had a, and there was one uh, video on there of a young guy, and he had a bullet he cast himself out of scrap lead, and it was you know pure soft lead for a muzzle loader. He had um, a powder charge that was powder he had made. And he had a priming charge. It was a flintlock made out of um, a powder that he'd ground finer. So it was like the powder you would use in the, the mechanism of a flintlock. 
you know that's pretty darn that's pretty darn self-sufficient uh, the, the the problem is you're shooting a flintlock you know that's the you are self-sufficient but you're shooting something that's you know three or four hundred years old technology wise so i i would say that the the best way to be self-sufficient is if and when primers become widely available again um buy 12 to 20,000 primers and keep them in a stock and just kind of buy new pri as you load as you hand load buy more primers for the batch you're going to load put them in your put them in your storage and bring out some of your older primers and use them for your actual hand loading and keep a keep a stock and keep kind of a rotational stock in there of of um of primers and you do that and and you scrounge cartridge cases um that's that's the only thing i can say you can cast your own bullets uh that is a reasonable thing to do there's not a lot of high volume casting equipment out there most of it even the six cavity molds that lee makes or you know you're going to shoot a better part of a day to get I think it would take you a whole day to get a thousand bullets out of that. So there, there you go. It's it's going to take you a while. Um, maybe some other people have others. Then then you have the the lubing of the bullets. Now everybody wants to powder coat bullets. Um, you know all of that mitigates volume. That's and that's a problem. So so there you go. That's the best way. Uh, the the only other way is. Uh, and it's still pretty cheap and available. Get, get um, black powder substitute because you can store a lot more of that legally than you can black powder. Um, buy 10 or 12 pounds of that, maybe even 20 pounds. Buy 20 pounds of it, um, or two eight-pound kegs or whatever the heck they sell it in. Um, learn how to make your own percussion caps and learn how to cast your own round balls. And you can keep a per couple of percussion uh, revolvers going. There you go. That's that's pretty self-sufficient. Um, the only other thing I would throw out is don't buy guns. Don't buy rimfire guns because although I think it's theoretically possible to hit, to reload them, it's going to be a real pain. So I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with that. Again, if you want to shoot twenty two. And this was possible in 2019, actually. Um, stockpile ammo, you know, stockpile it. Buy 10,000 rounds. Buy 20,000 rounds of 22 long rifle. Um, that'll last you. And then you, you're not self-sufficient as far as replacing your supply, but uh, going through times such as we're having now, you would, um, you would definitely be okay. Okay, our next question is, who do you think is the greatest gun writer of all time? Hmm, that takes some thought. I would have to say the most entertaining was Skeeter Skelton because his, a lot of his stuff read like fiction, like good fiction, you know, fun, nice, light reading fiction. So he was probably the most entertaining. The, um, let's see most technically proficient had to be Hatcher you know General Julian S. Hatcher in the olden times in the modern times I think I would actually say that the guy in Montana Mike Venturino 
he's come out with some some interesting stuff. I don't like all his magazine articles, but his books have been good. They're useful. So I would say that he is, uh, you know, a, a, probably one of the most technically proficient in what he you know what he does. Talks about capsting and hand loading and different guns. So I think that's that's there. Um, the most interesting to read from an experimental and kind of practical point of view would be Keith. Elmer Keith, his experimenting with handguns and even rifles. I mean, it was all FUD stuff. It was all FUD rifles, but, you know, that, that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I would say that those would be the, uh, those would be the ones I could think of right away. Uh, there are some other very good authors out there. I think the best firearms historian is Bruce Canfield, without doubt. I mean, he, his meticulous research and and he's never afraid to really update his books. Um, you know, he just he says, I write the best book I can at the time, paraphrasing. And then as he learns more, he'll turn out an updated one. So, yeah, Canfield's about the best historical firearms guy out there. All right, here's the next question. Do you think the 38 Special cartridge has a future or is it just going to die on the vine like so many other older rimmed revolver cartridges uh let me say um there's so many 38s around or 357s which are capable of taking 38s that um i don't think it's going anywhere it'll always be a very popular cartridge it'll never be as popular as it once was and part of the thing that that hurts the 38 special is is that it was so good and so dominant for so long uh, it's like the 30 out six it just became it was so good everybody got one and then it became passe because everybody had one and so then people start looking for other things that are that are doing different things 38 specials the same way um, there are still a lot of 38 special revolvers out there and I wouldn't hesitate to uh, get one and carry one I mean I think you're you're very well protected with a 38 special that's something you don't hear a lot of people say anymore um, I don't I don't know why but but people kind of say well you know it, it it doesn't invoke any kind of coolness or anything else if somebody says you know get a Right now, nobody will tell you to get a 38 Special Revolver over a SIG. What is that little SIG that they have? The ah, well, 365, I guess, is what it is, or the Springfield Hellcat. They will always tell you to get a semi-automatic. They will also tell you, also tell you to go to high capacity. Um, and and those are not bad choices. That's not bad advice, but it's not the only advice out there, and. You know, the, the fact of the matter is home defense shootings involve usually two rounds, three rounds at the very most. So your six round revolver is going to be pretty good for that. And it comes down to, do you want the outliers where, you know, it could be a home invasion and you might need more. Okay, that's an outlier. I mean, you may want to plan for that, but for most of us, that's not really an issue. And... Uh, you know, the, the other thing is, I have never met a person who really cannot shoot a 38 Special Revolver. 
and I know that's a big statement. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are people with, with various disabilities that just could not do that. And they might have to go with something else, you know, whatever, whatever suits their particular situation. But I, I've been around enough new shooters. I've introduced enough people to shooting, to pistol shooting, that really by the end of the first day, they can be shooting 38 wad cutters pretty effectively you know are, are they going to go to Camp Perry and win the national matches no are they somewhat intimidated by the noise um, and the recoil because it's maybe the first centerfire handgun they're ever shooting yes but it can be overcome fairly easy with some practice and a person who's not a, a shooting enthusiast can shoot a 38 special revolver. It's a good compromise. The guns are the right size. The six shot guns or even the, even the smaller five shot guns are a good compromise. It has good power. You can get good ammunition for it. But even even the old target wad cutters weren't bad loads for defense. Some people used to, uh, there was a company called Hydroshock and they used to actually load a hollow base wad cutter in backwards and with the idea that it would mushroom and and it wouldn't over penetrate and it had light recoil and all these other things uh whatever happened to all that i don't know um but people used to recommend just the regular wad cutter loads um for defense because hey if you if you can't shoot anything greater if that's the biggest thing you can shoot effectively then that's good ammunition that's a good a good solid compromise there are some of the kind of lower end uh, 38 revolvers out there um, I don't really have much experience with them but I would give them a try I mean I, I don't really uh, have a want or a need for that but for myself personally but you know giving them a try is not a a, a totally bad thing especially if it's only gonna get taken out maybe once or twice a year and shot and I know everybody's everybody's advice is hey you've got to shoot at least once or twice a month you've got to do this you've got to do that but the fact of the matter is there are going to be gun owners out there who go out once a year or go out once every two years and if all they can handle is that 38 special uh, that's fine uh, the, the other thing is and I've told this story before it's just intuitive to people who are not gun people it's very intuitive how a revolver works. I mean, they, they see it, they've seen them on TV enough, and when they see it in person and kind of see how it cycles and works, it's very intuitive. So it's a it's a safer gun for them to use than a semi-automatic where, hey, you put, you put the rounds in this little box thing, you push that up through the grip, and then you rack this thing back and, and it's loaded. You know, to us gun people, that's, well, so what? But to people who are not initiated and are not experienced, that's a whole different deal. And it's um, not really apparent how that works. It takes a lot more practice. So I would say that uh, uh, definitely, definitely, a 38 Special is a great revolver and a great thing, especially nowadays. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of good things to have. Um, a lot of good a lot of good benefits to having a good 38 revolver and um, I think that you can you can definitely you know stack them up it, it doesn't look that intimidating to police it's not like 
if I was out there waving around a desert eagle or something, <laughs> you know. I mean, it, it it's kind of like that lever action rifle. It it's serious, and you know what it is, but it doesn't look have have this uh, other persona of of being you know super high speed or the person wielding it is is uh, trying to be something they're not. It's a very very it's a very very pedestrian, but a very effective and and kind of uh, lower key type of weapon so i think it's i think it's a good deal um the other thing is the, the other lost totally lost thing is there used to be great 38 target revolvers and i guess they're probably still i think ruger makes a 357 and i, I and i'm sure you can get some smith and wessons that are that are really good with it but the the heyday of the great 38 target revolvers with you know the model 14 and some of those they're gone but i tell you they were they were darn good darn good guns and uh you know they're very economical to reload and especially when all the police departments were using 38s and qualifying with 38s brass once fired brass was very easy to come by uh, there's a lot of good things you can say about 38 special a lot of them so I think it's it definitely does have a future, but it'll never be what it was. Just there are too many other choices on the market. Okay, here's another question. If you could design and produce your own dream handgun, what would it be? Well, I think I've talked about this before. So it's kind of covering some old ground, but um, I would like a 1917-style revolver, a Smith & Wesson-style revolver, um that would take 50 gi and it would take 50 gi and it would also take a rimmed version thereof so you would have you'd have the ability to use 50 gi ammo or whatever you want to call the new cartridge the 50 auto rim or whatever you could use that also and uh it would have to be six shots because I don't really care for five shot revolvers. So it would have to be six shots and it would have to be on a frame large enough to accommodate that. And I think the only ones out there that can do that would be uh, maybe a on uh, in double action, maybe a Ruger. Yeah, the Ruger does that. And uh, maybe a Magnum in single action. Maybe a Magnum Research BFR would do that. You could, you could probably slip six of them in there. It wouldn't necessarily be a very high pressure cartridge, so you wouldn't need super thick chamber walls. So you might be able to slip it into something, something like that. But I think that would be awesome, and especially in the guise of a double action revolver. Um, then I would like to see the internet content creators explain to me and explain rationalize and justify how a nine millimeter is equal to my 50 gi i would like to like to hear that uh i really like the 50 gi i think it's cool why don't more manufacturers kind of jump on that bandwagon i think it's because they're afraid of the ammunition expense and also something about 50 caliber you know that I don't want to say triggers, but that triggers. Even some gun people get triggered by that. Um, you would hear, on top of the usual hate for the Desert Eagle, you would always hear they're talking about that 50 caliber cartridge and all that. And it's 
it's so cool and so fun. I could never understand why people weren't on board with it. Um, it, it was always just amazing to me, just amazing. Um, but I think the 50 caliber is a definitely a super cool thing and something with less recoil and pressure than a 50 A and E would um, definitely, definitely be a very cool gun to have. Would they sell many of them? Probably not. But it would be a very cool gun to have. Neat trail gun to have that, you know, hey, um, let's just say shoots a 325 grain bullet at 800 feet per second. Now that'll, that'll, you know, that'll get a mountain lion's attention. I mean, it may not take down a grizzly bear, but it'll, uh, it'll definitely work. Um, I just, just saw a headline recently, you know, man narrowly escapes alligator. Well, that might be a good that might be a good gator gun too. <laughs> Maybe that would, you know, I'd, I'd probably rather I'd probably rather have that. Um, I've always been, but then again, I always believe something that a lot of people don't believe, and it's okay that they don't believe it. I believe bigger is better. You know, sometimes big and slow does the job, and uh, I've always believed that, and it's been my observation, and it's also been the observation of some of the people I respect that, you know, hey, that's how it works. Uh, these are how these things uh, transpire. Um, you know, the, the big revolver round was always a good stopper. You know, 45 Colt, 3840, 4440. Those were good stopping rounds. So, you know, I, I just think that if you logically extend that, sometimes we, we lengthen cartridges to make them more powerful. Sometimes you can go up in in a power class by not really having to increase the pressure and velocity, but increasing the size. So I think that would be interesting. If magazine bands come back, and really I don't see a lot of appetite or even people talking about that. So, But in, in, in times of limp, after the 94 dealio, when magazines were, you know, capped to 10 rounds and all that, what you tended to see were guns becoming more powerful. So that's why we have, that's why people got away from 380, 32 auto, and, and things like that, that had been the traditional concealed carry auto pistol calibers. And that's when you start seeing 9mm and even 40 coming in and doing that. They became more powerful. You had small, you know, pocket sized 45s. I mean, they made up for the lack of capacity with power and that could happen again it could happen again and uh you know we would go up in in uh going up into 50 caliber would definitely do that so i think that would be that would be very cool but you re realize that what what you might personally or individually want is maybe not something that the market would welcome and and gun history is filled with probably probably hundreds of examples of such somebody comes out with this thing and says this is the greatest thing this is the greatest idea going and it meets a yawn you know or it turns off a lot of the the kind of the traditional and and here's some examples i can i can i can rattle them off as i'm thinking my way through this Dan Wesson revolvers, technically very good, but considered ugly compared to Colt and Smith and Wesson. So therefore, they're no longer around anymore, even though they were acknowledged as being uh, technically superior. 
That's the way it goes. You could adjust the flash gap on it. You could interchange the barrels. You could do all these things. If they just made it better looking, it would have been a good gun. Uh, the next thing. Oh, all kinds of things. You could you could go the Wildy, the 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 uh, Auto Mag. All these things people thought were great ideas, and they they kind of suffered from the the Corvette syndrome. I call it. Everybody loves Corvettes. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. But nobody really wants to confront the practicality of owning something like that. Their lack of versatility, the expense, and and all the other things that go along with that. So a lot of people like them, a lot of people think they're cool, but not a lot of people are willing to buy them. That's it. Those are a couple of examples. Oh, there's There's been other examples of people thought it was a great idea and it just never, never caught on. 10 millimeter anything, you know. Um, good idea, good cartridge, and chambered in good guns, but just never captured um, market share. Just never did. I mean... Uh, Although they're collector's items now and command a premium, the uh, Dornus, Dornhaus and Dixon, Dornhaus and Dixon, Bren 10s, you know, for a service auto, a big clunky auto, they were they were good guns. I mean, they were they were very good guns, very cool. You could see where that that design could have been developed even even further into some some very cool variations, but market never picked up on it. So there are a lot of things that uh, somebody will think is going to sell real well, and they, they just don't. So uh, that's, the, that's the end of that story. So anyway, that brings to a conclusion this episode of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you like it is and is not afraid to answer your questions. And you can send your questions to kbmakel at aol.com kbmakel at aol.com or you can post them on our comments section in Podbean and from there I will see them and I will answer it on the next podcast. But until then, this is Old School Guns, out.